At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Do you ever feel like the world is spinning out of control? Amidst the world's chaos and growing opposition to our faith, economic hardship, and overwhelming challenges, we can find inspiration from the story of Elijah in 1 Kings. Despite facing an angry king, severe drought, massive opposition, and depression, Elijah lived a powerful and impactful life for God. Join us for our series, Elijah, as we learn how the same God Elijah served can use us to live a life of impact for his kingdom. Good morning. Have you ever been on a playground where people are playing and all of a sudden someone wants to shoot some baskets and all of a sudden the kids line up and they start calling names and you know, you can only have five on five, which means 10 kids total and you're standing with over a dozen kids on the sideline waiting to be called and they start calling and you're the one that doesn't want to be like left out. You want to be called because you want to be part of the game, not on the sidelines, but they get to 10 and they're done calling. And the kids that didn't get called have to, well, they have to go find something else to do, don't they? We all want to be called. We all want to be part of the game. To be called means to be chosen, to be selected for something special, or to be included in someone or something. It isn't just in playground sports. You know, we're in football season, and just a few months ago, they had the NFL draft where the professional football teams all chose among the best athletes that were coming out of college. They picked them, and whoever was picked was called to be part of a team. Well, this calling doesn't just occur in sports. It, it happens in all facets of life. It happens in the employment world. You fill out a form, and you sit by your phone, and you're waiting for what? You don't, you don't ever do that? You're waiting for what? You're for, waiting for a phone call. And you're hoping that on the other side of the call is someone telling you you're hired. That's what you want. Because none of us want to hear the other words, sorry, we don't have a place for you. Like, that's not what you were waiting for. No, you want to be called and you want to be hired. It happens everywhere. We want to be called. Well, God has a call. There are calls that God issues, and the most important of those calls, and perhaps the first of those calls, is the call to salvation. Have you heard the call of salvation? I hope you have. Because every other call that God gives is, hinges and is dependent on what we do with that first call, which is what do we do with His Son? Why are we talking about calls? Well, we're at the end of a message series we began many weeks ago in the life of Elijah. It's found in 1 Kings. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19, where we will be this morning as we conclude this series. And, and we, we've seen Elijah in his best and in his worst. We've seen him uh, essentially a man just like us, no different, in his highs and in his lows, in what worked for him and what didn't. We saw God use him mightily to encounter the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. We saw God use him mightily to bring rain on the, on the land after the repentance. Uh, but then we saw him last week spiral into depression, downward in dejection, because his expectations weren't met. 
King Ahab, the evil king of Israel, didn't repent. Neither did his wife Jezebel. The, there wasn't the revival that he expected that should have broken out as a result of that dramatic encounter on the top of the mountain. And so Elijah's depressed, and he runs away from the threat of Jezebel, and he goes hides in, in Mount Horeb. And last week we saw that God wasn't done with him yet. And I love God because he's never done with us. And we saw God speak to Elijah in a still, small voice. Showing Elijah and us that God doesn't just operate in the big and the loud and the noisy, that God operates even in the quiet and in the silence, that God is always at work even when we don't see him. And God restored Elijah, recommissioned Elijah, gave him a series of tasks, one of which was to go find a man who would be his successor, who would be a prophet just like Elijah. So as we continue to look at these last verses in 1 Kings chapter 19, what we're going to see is that God faithfully calls his people to serve him in mission. God faithfully calls his people to serve him in mission. I want to share with you three truths about God's call from this passage. And as I do, I pray that you will prayerfully consider what God might be calling you to do. That as God's call is issues forth, into your hearts and into your lives, that you might respond to that call, whatever it might be, for his glory. Three, three truths from this passage about God's call. The first is that God's direction can be trusted. I'm in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. So he, that is Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. So let, let me just start off by saying, I'm going to mess up these two names this entire sermon. All right? Elisha and Elijah are just too close together. Don't stop me after the service and say, I counted, it was 12 times. Listen, you're going to mess it up too. So let's just all agree these names are really, really close. And in context, you'll understand. I hope and pray you'll do. <laughs> Great timing. Ray, who is it? Raise your hand. Awesome. We got, a, we got a prize for you. Come see us afterwards, all right? All right, we're done with bingo. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Um, we'll get that next time, maybe. Okay, so here we have, we have Elijah, who's down from a geographical perspective down south in Mount Horeb. That's where he's run. It's the same mountain that Moses was on, Mount Sinai, same mountain. And God commissions him, and so he has to go back hundreds of miles the very same way that he got there, hundreds of miles back, and this time he's on his way to a place called Abel-Meholah. Abel-Meholah is where God told him he would find his successor. Abel-Meholah is 10 miles southeast of another city called Jezreel. You should know Jezreel because that's where Queen Jezebel lives. And that's where the threat against Elijah's life happened. And that's where he ran from last week, if you remember. But here he is. He's trekking back hundreds of miles, back 10 miles within the city he ran away from. And he's there looking for a, a little town called Abel Mahola. Abel Mahola is on the banks of the Jordan River, which makes it very fertile land. It's very rich land. And this is where he's hoping to find his successor. 
And so when Elijah arrives, he finds Elisha plowing the field with 12 yoke of oxen. Now that might not mean much to you, but if you pause there for just a moment, 12 yoke of oxen means 24 oxen paired together pulling 12 plows. That's like having 12 tractors. Why do you need 12 tractors? Because you have a lot of what? Land. Elisha and his family must have had a lot of land because that's why you need 24 oxen to pull 12 plows. By the way, Elisha's pushing or pulling the 11th or the 12th plow, which means there are 11 other servants doing the other 11 pairs of oxen. He's got servants. He's got land. He's prosperous. He's coming from a wealthy family. He's got money. This dude's got it made. But for Elijah, he finds his successor, Elisha, just where God told him he would be. You know, I find it interesting that from Elijah's perspective, over and over again, time and time again, God's word has continued to prove reliable and faithful, hasn't it? All throughout the sermon series, God's word has come to Elijah, and it has happened exactly as God said. When the famine came, God's word sent him to the brook Cherith, where God took care of him during the beginning stages of the famine. And then God's word came to him when the brook dried up and sent him to a widow's house in Zarephath, where God took him for the rest, took care of him for the rest of the famine. It was God's word that sent him to Mount Carmel for the confrontation with Ahab and the prophets of Baal. It was constantly God's word over and over again showing up in Elijah's life to give him direction that was absolutely faithful, reliable, and trustworthy. You know, the psalmist declares in Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Over and over again, not just in Elijah's life, I think in your life and mine, we can agree that God's word continues to illuminate our lives, doesn't it? It gives us direction and leading for the decisions that we have to make. You realize that the Bible has every answer you and I need to make decisions in life. Now, I know what you're thinking. Like, Abe, where does it say who I should marry or what college I should go to or what career I should pursue? Like, is the name of my spouse in here? Probably not, okay? Most likely what you'll find in here are the principles by which you should be looking for that spouse. For example, who should you be looking for to marry? You should be looking for a person who loves Jesus. I think we can all agree that's a good one, right? Good one to start with. A person who has a hunger and thirst for righteousness. A person who exhibits the fruits of the Spirit. And what are they? Love, joy, peace, patience. You know the list. If you don't, it's in Galatians chapter 5. A person who wants to serve God in his kingdom. Would you agree those are good principles to look for in a spouse? Now, you're not looking for Mr. or Mrs. Perfect. That doesn't exist. But if you can find someone who fits the qualities, the principles of God's word, then you found the right person God wants you to marry. Now, does God carry whether you're a Spartan or a Wolverine or a Buckeye? No, maybe he does carry if he's a Buckeye. But does God care... (laughs) Whether you're an MSU or a U of M fan, does God care? There's an answer to that, guys. No, he doesn't care, except in for certain special cases. Uh, but what does he care? Like, the, so how do I choose? Well, which college or university will further the career that God has placed on your heart and help you grow in your faith? 
Which college is going to connect you with the family of God so that you can continue to serve him in ways that honor him? You see, there are principles in God's word that if you listen to them, will guide your decision-making process. By the way, in order to know God's word and those principles, you've got to read it. Does that go without saying? You have to read it. So as our fall schedule starts up, perhaps it's time to spend some time and set aside a place to read God's word, to meditate on God's word, to study God's word. Perhaps get a journal and start to write down the things that get prompted in your heart, what the Spirit might be saying to you. These are simple disciplines that have vital importance in the life of every believer because as we read and as we meditate and as we study, what happens is the Spirit takes the words and impresses them into our lives and into our soul and makes them part of who we are so that as we live life, they come out of us and in the decision-making process, they become the reasons and the principles and the underlying reasons for why we decide to do certain things. Starts with reading, starts with studying, starts with knowing God's word. God takes his word and illuminates his plan for us by embedding his values and priorities into our hearts and minds as we study and follow his word. Elijah knew what it meant to know God's word, to live God's word, to follow God's word. And it wasn't a surprise to him that when he showed up in Abel Mahola, that God's successor, his appointed successor, was waiting for him. Elisha was there just as God said. And so Elijah did something weird. Elijah took off his cloak that he was wearing and threw it over the shoulders of Elisha and then kept on walking. Now for you and me, that's like, well, that's kind of weird. I don't want to share somebody's cloak. By the way, that cloak was most likely animal hair. That cloak was symbolic of Elijah's prophetic office. So the fact that Elijah took his cloak and threw it over Elisha's shoulder was very symbolic. It had deep meaning. It essentially said to Elisha, tag, you're it. You're the next prophet who's going to succeed me. That's essentially what that did. And so Elijah travels to the, the town where God told him to go, finds a successor, and throws his cloak, his mantle, over him just as God said. And as we watch God faithfully call his people into his mission, we can trust and depend on God's word. But the second truth we find is that God's call demands commitment. God's call demands commitment. Verse number 20 says, and he, that is Elisha, left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. <clears throat> and he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. So Elisha must have understood the significance of the fact that this cloak was put over him. <clears throat> and so he runs after Elisha. Elisha threw the cloak and kept walking. So by the time he got the oxen to stop, he ran after Elisha and said, hey, can I just say goodbye to mom and dad? Is that okay? Sounds like a reasonable request. But Elijah's response, or Elijah's response is, is weird. It doesn't make any sense to us. It says, go back again for what have I done to you? 
And most scholars take that to be a Hebrew idiom, which essentially means, I haven't done anything to stop you, so go take your, go take your goodbyes. Go do whatever you need to do, and then come follow God's call. I would go on to say, well, I think that's true. I would say it's also Elijah saying to Elisha, look, buddy, I didn't call you. God did. So do whatever you need to do. But the call is God's. You got to follow. And so we don't know what Elijah specific, Elisha specifically did. He must have said goodbye to his parents, but it's not written. But what is written is that he went and followed Elijah. Now, keep in mind, Elisha's wealthy. He's got money. He's got land. He's got comfort. He's got a 401k. He's got a bunch of things that make him privileged. And he is being called to leave all of that behind. He's being called to leave his family, his friends, his community behind. He's being called to leave his money, his land, his wealth behind. He's being called to leave everything that he knew and was comfortable behind in order to follow the call of God in his life. I'm not so sure I would be willing to do it with all of those things in my life. But Elisha here not only says goodbye to his parents, notice what he does. He willingly pays the cost by saying goodbye to his parents, taking his pair of oxen, slaughtering them, building a fire with the plowing equipment, and throwing a big party for the whole neighborhood. He takes two cows... He slaughters them. One cow is big enough to feed a family of five for a year and a half. Two cows. I mean, can you imagine the size of this barbecue? I mean, this is going to feed the whole town. I don't know how many days this must have been. If you'd have walked by, I'm sure you'd have come in. They'd have had more than enough meat for you. But Elisha is willing to pay the price. He's willing to kill the cow and burn the plow in order to follow God's call. In his life. Think about that. Think about what it cost him. Think about what he was saying no to. Think about the depth of his commitment. Why did Elijah do that? Why did he kill those cows and burn the plow? Because what he was saying is, I'm all in. There's no plan B. It's not, oh, God, I'll follow you, but I've got a nest egg to fall back onto in case this God thing doesn't work out. No, no, for Elisha, there's no plan B. He killed everything behind him, and his only eyes were on God and moving forward with God's call in his life. Friends, following God has a cost. The question is, are we willing to pay it? Some of you might know Regina Jones. She's a native Detroiter. She had her bachelor's and master's in social work. And she went and moved to California to live out her favorite Bible verse, which is, delight in the Lord and he will give you everything your heart wants. Of course, that's her translation of the verse, but that's what she lived out. She had the lifestyle in California that you would typically see on TV. She had 212 pairs of shoes, along with everything else that went with it. She had a little chihuahua and a little purse to carry the chihuahua in. Like, she was the California girl. One day, her friend came by and asked her to help. Her friend was involved with a mission agency working in Africa called the Rock of Africa, where they were helping with uh, orphan children in Africa. And of course, she wanting to help said, of course I'll help, but I'm not going to Africa. Of course, that's what she thought. 
few months go by and God in his plan and providence puts Regina on a plane that heads and lands in a, city, in a town, in a country, none other than Zimbabwe. She gets out of the plane. She has no idea what she's doing. She says, Lord, what are you doing? And she says, God was breaking her down, breaking her heart, breaking her of the things she thought she wanted. And she's wandering the streets of Zimbabwe, and she comes upon a dozen boys, ages 4 to 16, who are living in the filth of the streets of Zimbabwe. No sooner does she seize these boys, but she hears a voice in her heart that says, these are my children, and they're hungry. She spends some time persuading them for her to buy them a meal, which they agree to, and in the process, she gets to know them. She gets to talk to them, and she realizes her life is never going to be the same. She comes back to Orange County. She sells everything she has, including 212 pairs of shoes. She gives away her chihuahua and her little chihuahua purse, and she moves to Zimbabwe to work with the orphans who are living on the streets of Zimbabwe. And for months, she's working, and she's not making headway. She's thinking... Maybe I did, a, did it wrong. Maybe I sold everything in vain. Like nothing's happening. God, did I make a mistake? But through the Spirit of God prompting her, she kept at it. She was tenacious. She kept serving. She kept meeting more orphans. Kept trying to build relationships. And soon God started to give her success. Success with children and with parents and with orphanages and with other institutions. So much so she moved into the capital of Zimbabwe where she's working with a mission agency that is seeking to bring relief and aid to the people, to the children who are on the streets of Zimbabwe. And while she's doing that, she's serving God by sharing the gospel. Regina was willing to kill the cow and burn the plow listening to the voice of God, sending her from this nation to another nation to share the gospel with people who have never heard about the love of Jesus Christ. Elisha was willing to kill the cow and burn the plow and hear the call of God, and he was willing to pay the cost to follow God's call in his life. Friends, there's always a cost to following Jesus. That cost might not be that you quit your job, move to a land that, and share the gospel with people who've never heard of Jesus. That may not be the call, but there's always a sacrifice required. That sacrifice might be small. It might be that you have to make food for a friend who needs some encouragement. It might be loaning your vehicle out to someone who needs it for the weekend. It might be a little bit bigger. It might be that you don't sign up for that bowling league that happens on the same night as ministry. It might be much bigger. It might be that God is calling you to leave a relationship that is not honoring to him. Or it might be that God is calling some of you to let go of your vocational job and go into ministry, perhaps even to another country, to share the love of Jesus Christ with people who have never heard it. Whatever that sacrifice might be, the call of God in your life is there. Are you willing to listen? The call of God always demands a commitment. For Elisha, he was willing to kill the cow and burn the plow. Lastly, we see that God's assignment involves development. The end of verse 21, we read, He, that is Elisha, arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So after this town-wide barbecue, Elisha gets up, mantle in hand, chases down Elijah 
and, and, and assists him. The word assist it means served. It's the same word that's used of people who wait on tables. Like, here is Elisha who has it all, who has servants who wait on him, who has land and oxen and wealth and is prosperous and everything else. He's now serving the prophet of God. Like, what is he doing when, he's, when it says he assisted Elijah? Well, if you take a peek at 2 Kings chapter 3 and verse 11, there's a little phrase in there that says, Elisha the son of Shaphat is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. What did Elisha do? He helped Elijah wash his hands. Can you imagine the conversation at the dinner table at the parents' house? Hey, what are your sons doing? Oh, my son's a doctor, my son's a nurse, my son's an engineer. My son. What's your son doing? Um, he's a chief water pourer. Um, he's, that doesn't have a ring, does it? He's like pouring water on the hands of the prophet. Like it's not a big deal anymore. Like where's all the wealth and the prosper, prosperous and the comfort and everything else? Elisha's left it all behind. There's nothing to hang your head on. He's pouring water on the hands of Elijah. And you're thinking, okay, that's probably a couple of weeks, a couple of months, maybe maybe a year, right? Well, if you do the math between 1 Kings 19 and 2 Kings chapter 3, it's a minimum of eight years, perhaps as long as 18 years. He served and assisted Elijah as a servant for eight years. That's a long time. Here's the man God called to succeed Elijah, waiting, serving, assisting the prophet. But you see, these aren't years of, of wasted life. For Elisha, he was watching a prophet of God pray. He was watching and learning how to listen to God. He was watching and learning how it looked like to minister as a prophet of God. For eight years, or perhaps 18, Elisha was learning, developing, in training, so that when Elisha, Elijah was out of the picture, Elisha could step into that role and perform exceptionally well. It takes training. It takes development. You know, we live in a culture where we don't want to wait. Like when we get into the job field, we want success now. We want that corner office now. We want that title now. We want the chief executive whatever officer title now. We don't want to wait. We got kid, kids coming out of college into the workforce who want to be directors and managers and, and chiefs. Like, uh, hello, dude, wait your turn. Some of us have been here a little longer. Some of us have our dinosaurs here. Okay, let, just let, let us get by first. We don't want to wait. And yet, throughout the Bible, the pattern of God is that there's always a period of waiting and training and development. Joseph spent years as a slave and in prison before God elevated him to the second highest position in Egypt. Joshua spent 40 years serving Moses before he was given the leadership of Israel. David ran for 16 years, give or take, after he was anointed king of Israel. You know, the disciples weren't any different. The disciples were always arguing with one another, trying to see who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In fact, two of them brought their mom in to try and up the ante. Hey, mom, come in. I want to right and left seats to Jesus. Bringing your parents in is wrong. Bad. That's like under the table dealing. Come on, don't do that. But they, they tried. 
But Jesus had a different perspective. In fact, he lays out a different way to approach life for those who are part of his family. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus says it this way. He called them, that is his disciples, to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever should be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. It was only a few weeks after Jesus made that proclamation that at the very last meal that he would share with his disciples, he took a towel, poured some water, and washed the feet of his disciples. For the Son of Man came not to serve, but not to be served, but to serve and to be a ransom for many. It's a very different perspective of living life. While all of us want to lead, what Jesus is saying, no, don't lead. If you want to be first, be last. If you want to lead, be the servant. If you want to live, die. That's the economy of the kingdom of heaven. Elisha here spent time serving, learning, training, developing. Eight years spent with Elijah learning what it meant to be a prophet. We here at Woodside have a leadership institute for young adults who want to know what it is like to perhaps train to go into the ministry. And over this past summer, over 35 young adults, men and women, went through that program learning, reading, studying, training under other men and women on staff here at Woodside to figure out what it looked like to serve him. Now, all of the work that they did wasn't glamorous. In fact, some of it was absolute grunge work. But all of it was training. It was development. To see if God is calling them to that kind of ministry. That development of character and competence is important to God's call because God wants to use you in the perfect place, having the best training so that he can use you to your fullest potential. Elisha was willing to do that. So God calls faithfully his people to serve him. The first call that I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon was the call of salvation. God's first call is his most important call. Have you accepted Jesus Christ by faith? If you haven't, may I encourage you to do that today. It starts by understanding that we're a sinner in need of a Savior. That we have sinned, that we've missed the mark, we've come short of the glory of God. But that there was nothing we could do, and everything that needed to be done has already been done by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And if the Lord is speaking to you and convicting you of sin, it starts by saying, Lord, I'm sorry for the things I've done. I'm sorry for my sin. Would you forgive me? And would you come into my life and would you save me? Would you be Lord and Savior of my life? That's the first call. If you're here today and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ by faith, I may invite you to do that today. After the service, there will be people at the front of the auditorium who would love to introduce Jesus to you, who'd love to pray with you, who'd love to answer any of your questions. Please don't rush off to lunch. Let's make sure your eternity is secure at the cross of Jesus Christ. For my brothers and sisters who have received that call, I thank God for all of you. But understand that there is a second call, and that second call is to ministry. 
that God has placed every one of us somewhere, whether that's in a home or in a store or in a job or in our office or somewhere, God has put us somewhere and God calls us to thrive where we're planted, thriving for his glory, sharing the love of Jesus Christ with the people around us, our family, our neighborhood, our contacts, our work employees, everybody, to show them what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to share the gospel with them. Whether you're a nurse or a doctor, engineer, a carpenter, or a grocery store clerk, God has placed you right where he needs you to be to share the love of Jesus Christ with those around you. But for some of you, there's another call. There's a call for some of you listening this morning to kill the cow and to burn the plow. It means to let go of what you're holding on to and to fully follow him in ministry. Perhaps it might mean to leave this country and go to another place where God wants to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who've never heard the name of Jesus. Perhaps it's to go into vocational ministry, to be a youth pastor, or to be some staff member on a ch- at a church to lead young men and women, or perhaps adults, into a deeper relationship, fellowship with Jesus Christ. Friends, if that's you... I'd love to talk to you. Pastor Billy would love to talk to you. The folks who are at the front of the auditorium after the service would love to pray with you. We'd love to understand what God is calling you to do. There are some of you who need to kill some cows and burn some plows. If that's you, why don't you say yes to that call? Commit to Jesus. Get the training needed so that you can maximize your life for the glory of God. Father, I thank you. Thank you so much for the grace you've given us. The call to salvation and the call to ministry, the call to be your hands and feet in a world that so desperately needs you. So won't you do that, oh God? For everyone who's listening to this message, that you would continue to press upon their heart whatever call that you would have for them, that they would say yes to you, yes to the call of God in their lives. And we'll thank you for what you have done and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.